Hello, and welcome to The Cynical Podcast, where we take deep dives into the shallow waters of today's star-studded films, blockbuster movies, and most hyped popcorn flicks. We're your hosts, Malika, Klesia, and Will, and today we're going to talk about Last Christmas. Last Christmas, I came <laughs> Before we get started, here is your spoiler warning. Walk away now if you care about the plot of Last Christmas. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Do not spoil. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's do a quick summary of Last Christmas. So Last Christmas tells us the story of Kate, played by Amelia Clark, who is a bit of a lost soul. She works at a Christmas store owned by Santa, played by Michelle Yao, but dreams of being a singer. She meets Tom outside of the store one day, Uh, Tom is played by Henry Golding of Crazy Rich Asian fame. And he's a free spirit. And he takes her on these romantic strolls, encourages to look up, and soon they fall in love. Kate then decides to get involved with the local homeless shelter. And through her work with putting on a pageant there, she ends up finding her purpose. Towards the end of the film, we learn uh, a little bit more about Kate, that she had a heart transplant the previous year, and actually the heart belonged to Tom, who is actually a ghost, and she's been falling in love with someone who died last year, and actually gave her the heart that allowed her to live. Very on the nose, last Christmas, he gave her his heart. So, first impressions, what do you guys think? Malika, I'm going to give it to you straight. (laughs) It's really bad. (laughs) Really, really bad. If you thought from that plot summary that this movie sounds batshit insane, you'd be right. Because it is, and it's and not very good. The plot summary was more straightforward than the actual plot while watching the movie. I had no idea what the fuck was going on for 90% of the movie. I totally agree. And actually, I saw this movie first, and I texted you guys, and I told you, maybe we should not do a <laughs> podcast on this. I tried to warn you, and both of you went into this movie knowingly. <laughs> so you did it to yourself. I thought I knew what I was doing. <laughs> I was wrong. Well, I was hoping I'd go in... Knowing it was so bad that I would at least like, you know, there'd be some cheesy lines that I could laugh at or some, you know, weird offshoots of a plot story. Well, I guess that did happen. There were some weird offshoots to the plot, but I thought they would at least be funny. They were so bad, but this was the kind of bad that was just boring. You know, we previously did Hobbs and Shaw, which I thought was bad, but it was a fun bad. It was really bad one-liners. It was action. There were cars and explosions and shit. This was just boring and bad and weird. I have no idea what this movie was trying to say, but I wish it would just shut up. (laughs) And what's super surprising is the director and the writer. Like, Paul Feig is the director. He's done a lot of great films, most recently A Simple Favor, which I personally really enjoyed. And Emma Thompson, who is a freaking delight. Emma freaking Thompson. And, you know, I love her and everything that she does. And I was so surprised that she and her husband had written this film and it was complete trash. Well, and Paul Feig's movies always surprise me. Bridesmaids surprised me how good it was. Same with Heat. I was like, whoa, I did not expect this out of Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock as these cops. It was like really funny. Spy was hilarious. It I, looked, oh, he did oh, Spy? Yeah. I love Spy. So good. It looked, also underrated. It yeah. looked weird and <laughs> terrible, but it was actually hilarious. 
this surprised me as well of how truly, truly bad right. it was. He's great at getting a lot of famous people into a movie, but this one just was so tone deaf and just fell all, it was just all over the place. Yeah, you guys remember those like little stick'em toys from the 90s where you just like threw these little sticky guys up against the wall to see what happens? <laughs> yeah. This is what it felt like, but with making a movie. It felt like they were just like, mm, Emma, who, who do you think you can get for this? I'm, I'm good friends with Amelia. Uh, great, got her in the movie. Henry too. Just... What what is going on? Hey, you guys right. heard about Brexit? Whoop! Yeah, Slap that it's on like the they wall. had a fishbowl full of like ideas, and they just like, oh, okay, let's include this now. Let's include that. You let's might have be... a quirky main character. Let's have a homeless shelter. Let's have an angry immigrant mother. Like what? It was weird, Malika. You might be onto something. Maybe they were just like a cocktail party playing one of those <laughs> games, and they decided to take <laughs> what came out of it and make it into a movie. Before we recorded, Malika described this as Mad Libs the movie, and it really <laughs> felt like that. <laughs> yeah, it just so many things crammed into Amelia here. Clark has a heart transplant and falls in love with a ghost. <laughs> I feel like anyone having a heart transplant and that being happening in like the final third of the movie being revealed is like bearing the lead. It's like, how is that not the thing? What? Well, that's what was super weird about this was so the meat of the story is Amelia Clark is struggling with life after her heart transplant. She feels like she says in one of the scenes where she's talking with Henry Golding that she feels like a different person. Part of her, she didn't get a new lease on life. She felt like part of her just died and that she has this different person living inside of her. And so she's struggling with who she is and what's going on with the movie. I'm really giving it too much credit. I'm elaborating on this a lot, but they, we don't even find out any of this until about an hour into the movie. And so up to that point, it's just Amelia Clark being a shit show and like banging a bunch of random dudes and staying over at random people's houses. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? The What's the story? Yeah, the twist was too important to them. Like they they prioritize the twist over everything else to the detriment of the film, right? Yeah. The yeah. character development, all of that that could have been a little deeper and, and, and more fleshed out instead was like, okay, well, we're going to have, you know, Henry Golding just show up once in a while. And so that's why he's a ghost. Like the twist was all that mattered. It anchored this film and just wasn't strong enough to carry it. Agreed. And I think we had talked about before we recorded this being a perfect follow-up to seeing movies like Jojo Rabbit and The Joker. And it's kind of funny that this has a sequence very similar to The Joker with the reveal of the love interest having oh, not true. been real at all. <laughs> but whereas that movie, the reveal only helped to elaborate on the work that had been done earlier and had kind of moved the character development and the plot along, this just worked to undo any goodwill that could have possibly been accrued at that point in the film because it's either the plot twist was either so obvious that it was just like well why is this even a reveal and even if it wasn't the emotional weight of it didn't really seem to do anything because she was already on a path to bettering herself before she finds out that this love of her life guy or whatever doesn't exist and then you would think that having realized this she would make some even more significant changes like getting therapy clay you bring up a good point where both of the twists play to the main characters coming off as crazy. The difference is in Joker, he was supposed to come off as crazy. And in this movie, she's supposed to be a normal person. But then all of a sudden they cut to her talking to herself on a park bench and breaking into an ice rink by herself, skating without someone else. It's like, what the, what are you doing? There's yeah. no one there. You're telling me this whole time you were just like a crazy person talking to yourself, changing <laughs> naked in the middle of the street. And the thing is like, after she finds out that he's a ghost, 
she's sad and heartbroken that she can't be with this guy that she loves, but there's no like, holy shit, I'm crazy, <laughs> or I'm talking to a ghost. There's no like emotional repercussions for that reveal. And then I think it like shortly after she it cuts to her throwing this Christmas party um, at the homeless shelter and she's pretty well adjusted. Yeah. <laughs> I think the, the title card, something came up that said two weeks later. So it took her about two weeks to come to grips with having been an insane person imagining a romance with a dead man who gave her his heart. I hope she booked a doctor's appointment in maybe those we, yeah. two weeks so she could talk to someone about Maybe she was happened. going to therapy and we just didn't see it because that's the kind of movie this is where all the characterization happens. It's implied or happens off screen because it didn't happen in the movie. Didn't happen in the movie. So this was a rom-com. So we have to talk about the main tropes that usually pop up in rom-coms. And so, of course, when you have two characters, they have to meet. And so there was a very clear meet-cute. Amelia Clark sees this cute guy standing outside of her, her store that she works at. And he's looking up and a bird poops on her head. And that is sort of how they meet. What do you guys think? I would call it a meet cute <laughs> because she moves something in the store window and looks out and there's just this guy standing there looking up at the sky, twirling around, looking at the sky for like three minutes straight. You wouldn't be like, what What the What the fuck is this guy yeah. doing? He's just standing there looking at the sky. That's such a good point too because I feel like, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit more later, but there's some really weird directorial choices in this movie. Like shots that lingered for moments on end with things that weren't in focus. And it was just really weird. And that whole scene where Amelia Clark first sees Henry Golding's character. And you're right, well, she's just looking at him because he's standing outside of a store like a freaking weirdo for several minutes. And she's like fake dusting the displaced items. And it's just like, is this supposed to be a guy that she knows? Like it's super unclear. And then she finally goes outside and then the weird thing is that she's like negging him and calling him a weirdo. I'm like, you're the one that went outside. Yeah. Uh, one of the themes of this movie is Henry Golding being a weirdo. He's just really weird throughout the whole movie. <laughs> she keeps on calling him a serial killer, and I have to agree. He is weird. Why is he always showing up in these weird places and not really saying anything but like helping her out? I don't know. It's weird. I can't like help but just crack up every time I think about it because the way Henry Golding played this character was manic. I don't know about you guys, but I was very uncomfortable. He tried to be this like lighthearted Fred Astaire dancing through the streets kind of guy. And instead you, it just didn't work. Maybe it's Henry Golding, like himself, the way he carries himself. He, he does better in these more like serious and I'm the sophisticated, sexy man role, but he just could not pull this off. And it just came off so disjointed and weird. And then you have Amelia Clark also, who's supposed to be this lost soul. And you've got him who's this like, you know, whimsical, whimsical yeah. weirdo. And then together it felt like they were all just, <laughs> they weren't playing. All over the place. Yeah, all over the place. It was like a manic pixie dream cast. And it just did not work. I didn't even feel much chemistry between them. No. no. And he, it felt like he was going for some sort of whimsical charisma, but he's so stiff yes and stiff is a perfect so word. stiff and cardboard cutout he would do like a twist in the street and then stand mr roboto and <laughs> like say ah, a weird smile the movie was so bad i just can't yeah he has he has the posture of a department store mannequin <laughs> i think that's what it is it's like he always resets back to that default position where his arms are up in that position that no human ever puts their body in and that's henry golding and like you're so right though about this being like a manic pixie dream cast 
And it's weird because at points it seems like there's a level of self-actualization and self-realization to that because at several points throughout the movie, Amelia Clark's character even says like, oh, has anyone ever told you you have the air of a serial killer about you? And it's like, he's like, well, not more than once. What the hell is that about? <laughs> and then she still not walks into a dark him. alley with him though. Right? Several dark alleys, at least two. Well, Ed Clay, you brought up the negging. That was something I noticed right away is, okay, so she's drawn to this guy who... She looks at him through the store window, goes out and talks to him because she's like, oh, he's cute. I'm going to go talk to him. And then like five seconds later, he comes back into the store to like, I don't know, hit on her or something, start up a conversation. And she's like, get out of here, you weirdo. Why are you so weird? I, I don't want to talk to you. Leave. It locks him out of the store. It's like, why did you do that? You were just interested in talking to him. And then he comes in and talks to you and you're like, no, I don't want to say anything. Well, I guess it's weird because he's not on this fake Tinder app that exists in that the world of so movies. So that's the red flag, apparently. Wow, like you don't use your phone to get sex with women? <laughs> get out of here, buddy. <laughs> they couldn't say Tinder. They had to say swiping match online yeah, dating. Swipe or no swiping, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And the whole look up thing. <laughs> Let's talk about that because... Oh my God, I think it was supposed to be like inspirational. Oh, don't look down at your phone. You should look up. Life is happening. Right. And instead, it didn't make any sense because I'm pretty sure he died because he was looking up while riding a bike and then got hit by a bus. Maybe you should look ahead uh, yeah. in the road. Look where you're going. Look where you're going. Bike ahead. safety. But it's weird. It's like they wanted to tie that back to some sort of theme of like looking up in your life and looking at the positives or yeah, whatever. looking up on the bright but side they never tied it back to the theme of improving your life so it was just like this weird hey look up look there's a grasshopper on that sign isn't that cool like uh, i guess i don't know right. all the things he showed her when they looked up were like oh look there's like a mouse on a building there's a grasshopper in that sign there's a forget what hawk else. that yeah. poops on her face right like what aren't there like this is what you want her to see Oh, I feel like this movie tried to be too many things, right? It wanted to be a rom-com. It wanted to have some inspirational moments, but it just was forced into a very short film. And I think that what it thought it was and what it ended up being were very far apart. Let's talk about each of the four plot lines in the movie. First one that comes to mind for me, which felt like the most forced and I think we'll be hearing from this plot line again in a different section of our podcast. But the, spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The Brexit immigration themes and plot in this movie didn't make any sense whatsoever within the rest of the context of the movie. It was like three separate scenes where they're talking about xenophobia and Brexit because they're immigrants from Yugoslavia. And then that's it. They just don't talk about it again. And another one is the family struggles where uh, Amelia Clark's character, Kate, has a sister who feels like she didn't get enough attention because Kate was the one who was sick and she had to be a lawyer because her father, when he moved to London, couldn't practice anymore. And so she had all these pressures but never was appreciated. So that was forced down everyone's throat. Yeah, and then on top of that, you also had the Michelle Yeoh playing the store owner who had her weird <laughs> subplot because she loved Christmas. So she called herself Santa. Apparently she reinvents herself every time she works at a store, which is that's not serial killer at all. <laughs> I know. I right? changed my identity yeah. everywhere I go. And then she falls in love with a pale man that loves sauerkraut. And I'm just losing track at that point of what I was supposed to be paying attention to because there was no real like thread to just keep hold off throughout the movie to like kind of more me. It was just like, where are we going next guys? Oh, now there's a romance subplot for the store owner? Sure. Why not? 
It's like a sweater with a bunch of loose ends, but instead of a sweater, you're just wearing a bunch of yarn draped over your neck <laughs> because there was nothing holding it together whatsoever. And the the <laughs> That's family a good analogy for this movie. The family subplot and the strife between the family, like I think I'm speaking for everyone here when I say her sister Kate's sister, she just sucks. She's not a nice person. She's just mean the whole time. There was no redeeming quality to like tie her back to saying, oh, you know, we are a family, but we're going through some stuff and we'll figure it out. Yeah. No, she just sucks. She, she just she seemed resentful of her sister having almost died. And then that being the thing that gets her parents' attention, which is like, hey, look at me. I'm a lawyer. I got a promotion. Oh, your sister almost died, so we pay more attention to her. Well, fuck her. What? Yeah. Why she was very it? one note. That was the problem. There were All the side characters weren't developed no. because they were too busy trying to include the Brexit storyline or it's important to give back. That's why she you know, works at the homeless shelter. Yeah. It's all over the place. And going back to what you said earlier, Malika, about this just being ad-libbed, I think every character just had a single prompt and a name. They had no other details about who they're supposed to be playing. It's like, all right, you're the lesbian sister who's a lawyer who's resentful. Go. You're this person. Like, there was no character work. Like, I'd be very shocked if there's anyone on this movie who is working to say, hey, you're supposed to be playing this Yugoslavian person. Here's some common themes that we've seen from Yugoslavian film, from people that grew up in that era, from your motivation. No, I think everyone's just riffing. Seriously. And the whole lesbian sister plot line didn't make any sense. Not only it, first of all, it doesn't make sense that her sister's like a 35 year old who's clearly living in a nice house with another woman and like they never put two and two together there throughout the whole time roommates. What are you talking about? Yeah. And then, but the thing that didn't make sense at all was that once Kate told her parents about it, they were like, what? Okay. I get it. Yeah. Lesbian pudding. Yes. 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 There there was no, there was no conflict that came from it except that. Kate spilled the beans without her sister's permission, but it was like, okay, her parents got over it pretty quickly. It wasn't like a big surprise or, you know, a big cause of rife between the family. Like, nope. And if there had been, we didn't see it on the film. We didn't see it. Right. And the, or they'll mention something like, oh, the dad drives an Uber all night to avoid their mother. And then like, oh, OK, family dinner. Everything's mended. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what? Because just- <laughs> Kate fixed her life. Her parents love each other again. And all is well in the world. Yeah. Merry Christmas, everyone. Yeah, there was never any resolution to the, Like, I'm sorry. There's no way that the one thing that broke up a parent's marriage is the fact that their adult child is like recovering from this health issue and is kind of a dick. Like you clearly had other deep seated issues between the two of you. And that doesn't get fixed with your daughter getting her shit together. Maybe you should go to couples therapy. Maybe yeah. you should talk to each other. I don't know. Why does your entire life revolve around the health of this child? Totally true. Do you think this movie would have worked better if they had cast different people? There's so many things wrong. It's hard to know where to start. Um, I I don't think casting was the biggest problem. I I do think the biggest problem was the story. And I think it needed another pass through. I think it needed another set of eyes. I think it needed to be kind of understood at its individual level to say, Hey, is this the movie we're trying to make? Cause I don't know if it is honestly like, you know, it'd be interesting to get Paul Feig's or Emma Thompson's perspective on the reception of this movie. Cause spoiler alert, it's not great. Not great. And I just can't imagine that what they were trying to do is what came across. So I think the movie itself just needed to be rewritten, reevaluated, maybe just dropped altogether. But I think, I don't know the most of the actors are capable enough, but who are they meant to be portraying? Like, what are these people's 
goals? What are their ambitions? What are their no, none of it's clear. The only casting question I had was they decided to ham fist in this xenophobia, accepting of all people plotline, but then the only immigrant characters, Emma Thompson and her husband, are played by an English woman. Like, you couldn't find a Yugoslavian actor, like a single one. You're going to make this point to talk about accepting other people, but you're just going to get your basic yeah. white English woman to play a foreign person. It just doesn't make any sense. And Henry Golding, as one of you described before the podcast, before we started recording, was the hot Asian Ken doll. Like, he's just kind of a cardboard cutout mannequin. I don't really think he's that great, but... Yeah, as I said earlier, too, they had no chemistry. I had a huge issue with that. I don't think I cared if they ended up together. I really wanted Kate to end up with um, the cute young guy at the homeless shelter. Yeah, the homeless shelter guy. They had way more chemistry, even though they were probably on screen together for a total of two minutes. Two minutes, I was going to say. I mean, well, he actually seemed to have a personality, so that might have been the reason why you felt some sort of chemistry there. And I mean, he was real and alive. That always helps. But <laughs> I mean, was any of this real? What are we even doing? Are we in a podcast? Yeah. <laughs> it just felt like such a waste of Michelle Yao, who's such an incredible actress. And even Emma Thompson felt a waste of her talents. Amelia Clark was overacting. So was Henry Golding. So honestly, maybe the movie would have benefited if they had different people in the lead roles there. I mean, I can't say. The movie was so bad. And as you said, Clay, like there were so many things that that maybe alone wouldn't have fixed it. And honestly, I actually wonder with this film that it's not that it needed a second pass, but maybe it was overwritten. Oh, yes. So I think that Emma Thompson and her husband probably started out with a fairly good script, but then you get the director who clearly has a, a voice and a point of view and he comes in and he puts in his notes and then the actors themselves come in and are like, well, I think it should be done this way. I need motivation in that way. And maybe they're, they're great collaborators to a fault because then certain scenes get shifted around that don't make sense and what you get left with is a pile of garbage. A pile of garbage. <laughs> you know, Just like the pile happens, of garbage you know? <laughs> that Amelia Clark fell into when she's looking up while walking with Henry Golding. Once again, looking up, he gets hit by a bus, she falls into a pile of trash. Maybe it's not such a good message. Guys, maybe the allegory of this movie is to use your phones all the time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a weird thing too, right? <laughs> yeah. At first, I thought it was going to be the overdone every single episode of Black Mirror of we use our phones, we're addicted to technology and I was like, okay, here we go again. Again. Thankfully, they brought that up and then they just completely dropped that theme. And I was like, well, okay, we don't have to hear from that ever again. But also, it didn't make any sense in the context of the movie, except for the fact that she couldn't contact him. But she wouldn't be able to contact him anyway because he's a ghost. Yeah. So, But even weirder about that is the fact that so she couldn't contact him, but yet she still found out where he lived, broke into his apartment, never thought to rifle through the cabinets to find the phone he said was in the cabinets, and then doesn't find all this out until the end when the realtor thinks that she's come look at the apartment. And it's just like, what is, why? Why that, was that, why was it portrayed in this way? That's my favorite part about the reveal that he was a ghost is thinking about all the scenes that they had together. They showed a few of them that she was then just like talking to herself on the park bench or, uh, you know, changing naked on the side of the street. And so these guys could walk by and see her, but there's more to it. Like, did she 
break into the ice rink by herself and start skating with two pairs of skates without anyone else there? And then did she break into this empty apartment and lay down on the floor and start crying and touching her heart and then lay down on the bed and start singing to herself alone? Like, what the hell? Yes. The answer is yes. She has psychiatric problems. She needs to see a doctor. This whole film needs help. <laughs> I don't think it can be helped. It was just all over the place. And I just, oh, I keep thinking back, like, do I care about these characters? What was their motivation? Did it make sense that um, Tom shows up? Why now? Yeah, why, why, why that moment? Why a year after he gave the heart to her? Why does he care about, you know, like, fine, he gave her the heart, but, like, they fall in love, but, like, why is his way of reaching out to her these romantic walks? Like, I didn't know. And like, he didn't even help her. Like, their story she, was a love story, but, like, they were trying to say that this ghost of the heart transplant that she received, you know, helps her get a new lease on life or whatever, but he didn't help her along in that sense at all. I guess he kind of pointed her to the homeless shelter, yeah, that's which the- is where she made her self-improvement. But other than that, he didn't really do anything to help her. And he was actually like kind of a dick to her. Yeah, he would disappear for days at a time. And then, and he didn't even really he pointed her in the direction because she was like, oh, I'm homeless. So it was kind of a, a dick move to be yeah. like, here's a homeless shelter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, what? <laughs> that's such a good point too, because like, yeah, if you're like thinking about this without knowing the reveal, without knowing that, uh, Tom is not real and he's just a part of um, Kate's imagination. You go back and you think about all the moments in which he's there, the, the times he chooses not to be there. And I was trying to like string it together and figure out the rhyme or reason as to why he would appear and not appear at certain points. And it just seemed like when she was doing well, he would be gone. So maybe that's a whole other, but that's another like weird psychological thing where in the moments where she decided to help herself or to help someone else, that's when he would be gone. So the first time she goes to the homeless shelter, she hadn't seen him in a couple of days and then she didn't see him again for another few days. And then like, it was just really weird of like when her mind, I guess thought she needed him versus when he would appear. That's the only thing I can read out of that situation. It's like her trauma was manifesting him at the points in which she most needed him, but it didn't really seem like she did. So again, I ask you, what is the point of this movie? Well, so They were clearly trying to preserve the twist, trying to preserve the surprise of, oh, he was actually her heart donor. But they didn't really do a good enough job of either playing into, yeah, he's a, you know, spiritual something that's not quite human or of playing it straight enough of this guy seems like a real person. Because throughout the movie, my fear of what this movie was going to be is that he was some sort of, you know, St. Nick jack frost spirit of christmas type person and you know santa was the name of the shop owner played by michelle yo and so like her and henry golding were santa and jolly old saint nick or one of his elf helpers helping her around the time of christmas i don't fucking know but uh, <laughs> i think but, it would have been better if it, that had been the i would have liked to have seen that well, movie. no i was i was actually happy that it wasn't like that hardcore christmas magic because i would have gotten up and left the theater but but. couldn't it have been more fun though my Uh. fear watching this movie was that it would never end i was (laughs) miserable i can't tell you how many times i was like shaking my fist at the screen i was this was really really bad for me i can't believe it was only an hour and 40 minutes it felt like so much longer it felt like so much longer an eternity i saw it at alamo draft house shout out alamo draft house sponsor us alamo draft house but 
So they always bring the the check 45 minutes before the end of the movie. And when they finally brought it, I was like, oh my God, thank God it's here. <laughs> I'm ready for this to be over. Just take my money and let me leave. Did they have any cool uh, videos at the beginning? No, because uh, there was nothing did. cool about this movie. Oh, did it? Yeah. So I, I guess I saw a show before well, and they did a weird compilation of oh, a bunch of musicians right. covering George Michael's last Christmas. YouTubers. Yeah, YouTubers. Oh, and then they cool. put them together in a video medley. It got a lot of laughs. It was a lot of genres, a lot of different levels of talent. <laughs> nice segue. Speaking of George Michael. There, it oh was boy. way too over the top, right on the nose. The George oh, Michael, man. another like thread that they picked up for five seconds and then just like put right back down because they're like, ah, actually, we're not going to touch was that. Was the soundtrack like ninety percent George? Michael? Yes. It was all George. It was all percent. I okay. think all the songs were George Michael. Songs, I don't know I all of his songs. So I was like, Michael maybe there were one or two that I just didn't know that were his. But what the hell? Yeah, what? her childhood bedroom was like all posters of George Michael. She even had a George Michael forever sticker on her suitcase, I think. Yeah, it was like, what? Isn't she too young to be that obsessed with George She's Michael? She's supposed to be 26 in 2017. Which yeah. means she was born in what, 91, 92? Yeah. Is that George Michael era? I, I mean, know. she would have been a baby after no, he was yeah. a thing. Yeah. So also growing up in Yugoslavia, maybe they're just really late. Maybe they got George Michael when she was a, a child. Did she grow up in Yug Yugoslavia? Well, so the opening scene of the movie. Well, let's talk about that. So the opening scene of the movie is a flashback of Katarina singing in a church choir. They bring up the title sequence. It says Yugoslavia 1999. Oh. That's your first introduction to who these people are. And then there's a cut crossfade. You see 26 year old Amelia Clark and you can kind of imply that that's who it was. And they right. obviously do talk about the motherland and Yugoslavia and other parts in the film. But yeah, that was another weird thing. I mean, I know it can happen. I have a brother that was not raised in the United States during his most formative years and then has moved to the United States and doesn't really have much of an accent. So like I can kind of buy it, but she sounded completely British, like no yeah. Yugoslavian anything. Yeah, no accent at all. Especially the sister. Sister was older than her and you would think yeah, would have true. even more right, of an accent. Exactly. They both sound like they grew up in Chelsea. Yeah. And the fact that Emma Thompson looked at her husband and was like, you know, I love that George Michael song, Last Christmas, I Gave You My Heart. What if it was, I literally gave you my heart? Last like, Christmas. Last Christmas. It felt like... You guys, that was it. That was the movie. That, do you guys ever watch uh, Daria? They would do these weird interstitials with a show called Six Sad World, and it would be kind of a yes, weird runner. Yes. That's what it felt like. It's like, this Christmas, you're going to find romance, but last Christmas, George Michael gave you his heart. <laughs> like, that's what it felt like. And I was like, where is any of this coming from? It was really weird. Okay. Time for Clasius Pitch Perfect segment. I can't imagine that there is anything you would describe as pitch perfect about this movie. But Sounds a challenge. Guys, I've had a struggle from the depths of my soul to come up with something, anything about this movie that's worth mentioning. And really, the only thing I can come up with is the realistic amount of diversity on screen for a movie in, of London set in 2017. You know, I like the fact that, you know, Henry Golding's character, obviously, is an Asian man, um, grew up in England. Uh, when she goes to work at the homeless shelter, Amelia Clark, you know, the main guy that she ends up interacting with is a young black guy. Um, you know, the sister, who turns out to be a lesbian, has a black girlfriend. I'm really grasping at straws here. I just felt like at least they gave some yeah. of these people a paycheck. Um, you don't <laughs> get that money. Good for you. I have nothing else good to say about this. Appreciate film. the sentiment of the whole like being against xenophobia plot 
But was it though? Threads. Then what was that weird cheap shot at the Polish yes, at the end? At the end, <laughs> at the end she's, I realize, you know, we're welcome here. This is our home, but I still blame the Poles. Like, what the fuck? Are you, that uh, undercuts everything you just did. But oh, I think it's a little realistic. But now that you actually say it, Claire, like, I do appreciate all the diversity on screen. But correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't all the homeless people white? I can't remember any no, actual. No. There was that one black guy. Yeah, he had a. He had like big dreads and had a hat over him. Like, okay, so there like was sway one. in mid 2000s, the sway hat. Well, yeah, they're clearly all the Polish and Yugoslavian immigrants that Britain had forgotten. I sat next to sway on a plane once oh. to Chicago. Fun was he fact. wearing his big hat? Mm-hmm. Um, I, no, I don't think he was. I wonder he if TSA not. made him take it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have to say, and this hurts me because I feel like the last 15 to 20 minutes of this movie were. A good, I don't want to say good, but it was, it kind of started to tie it all back together at the end, better than the rest of the movie. And it made me feel like there what there could have been something there. There could have been something there in the movie. The end was like a good Christmas movie come together with a big musical Christmas, you know, performance or whatever. I felt like there could have been something there towards the end. I thought the reveal, they actually did a good job there. Both Henry Golding and Amelia Clark, like when they got back together at their spot. But I don't know. I thought it was okay. I'm making a face because I I hated it. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like Wilsh is feeling like Stockholm Syndrome from this movie where he just realized the first hour and 15 minutes was so bad. They've got me tied up to a radiator in the basement and they come by and give me a cracker. I'm like, oh, I I love crackers. literally says... I gave you my heart and then it cuts to them at the, the you know, I keep saying the pageant, whatever it was. Talent and she show. sings the talent show and she sings last Christmas. I gave you my heart. I'm like, yeah. Oh my God. It's, pretty bad. <laughs> it's just it's so bad. bad. It's two, two on the nose. It was just not clever. I, I'm going to go out and say there was nothing pitch perfect about this movie. <laughs> that would bad. be correct. But you know, Clay, you, you gave it your all. <laughs> We appreciate the effort. Is there an award for trying your best? (laughs) (laughs) This movie certainly didn't get that award. Yeah, no one in this movie got to try your best. So, Will, if you made this film, and I'm so glad you didn't because I don't think I could be your friend anymore, um, (laughs) what would you change? I know there's a million things, but if you had to pick one major theme or one major scene to to switch around, what would you do? So, as we talked about, I feel like the meat of this plot was around Amelia Clark struggling with life after the heart transplant. And that's, you know, the foundation of her whole ghost relationship with uh, Henry Golding's character. I feel, but despite that, they didn't introduce the heart transplant piece until about an hour and 15 minutes into this hour and 45 minute movie. If that was in the beginning in the whole you like we had a basis for why she was struggling and why she was treating herself like shit and she didn't feel like she had a new lease on life she felt like she was half dead if we got that introduced at the beginning of the movie and it introduced and explained all of the you know strife within her own family and why she's you know still treating herself like shit she doesn't feel like she deserves this life or whatever it at least could have made a foundation for like the rest of this movie, yes, it probably would have lessened the reveal at the end that Henry Golding's a ghost, but everyone, we all kind of thought that anyway. We all thought yeah, he wasn't was up, a real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So at least it would have, wouldn't have been as much of a, what the fuck? Where is this all coming from? 
Also, this is just a total side note about the heart transplant, but she tells Henry Golding that she doesn't like to show people her scar and like she doesn't usually do this, but she like banged four guys at the beginning of the movie. Like, did they not notice it? Like she's any random guy. She's like, I don't usually do this, but check out my scar. (laughs) Like, I think they would have noticed. Yeah. 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 Oh man, what a movie. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't I don't think it would have made it that much better. I mean, this movie was <laughs> fucking crazy. No, well, I totally agree with you though. I feel like if they had even done something like, you know, she saw like these flashbacks of like her time in the hospital maybe, right. but we never got the explanation, but you just see her like as she's going through her day-to-day like maybe every time she wakes up, she wakes up in a cold sweat and she's remembering stuff. You know, like that could have been at least more interesting to kind of get my attention because when they start to mention illness, I actually thought it was the mom that had been sick. It was super unclear about what had happened to her because I think it's the sister comes by and makes a reference to like, hey, mom keeps blowing up my phone, like call her back, like something about doctors. And I thought, oh, the mom's dying, obviously. But it was actually Kate who was sick and the mom was calling to check in on her, which again makes her seem even worse in hindsight. Like your mother is worried because you almost died. Yeah. Call her back. Yeah. And and recently, recently, it was only last Christmas. Yeah, we don't know how long she was in the hospital. Like she had the transplant a year ago. She could have been in the hospital for months. They did mention she was in a coma. Yeah. Like, that's a huge thing. Talk about it. And clearly they made that decision because they wanted the reveal and surprise to be the biggest possible. But it just felt like it was unearned to get there. Yeah, definitely. And just like the line with Henry Golding saying, you know, you would have had my heart anyway. Oh, just kill me. What that does was that so even corny. mean? You're oh. a ghost. You never met each other. How do you know? Like, you're not a real person. Maybe if they, like, like you said, it's some flashbacks or something established that they had known each other or at least interacted. But like, I don't know. It was weird. I, it doesn't even make sense. I can't even justify more it. More thought into this than Paul Feig and Emma Thompson ever did. Yeah. Yeah, I seriously agree with that. And he didn't have much of a personality besides no. like, la la la, let's just like live. Well, now I know, think that, was, that makes life. sense because if he's just a projection of what Kate imagines this guy to have been, it is kind of, it does make sense that he's kind of a cipher and has no real personality. He only fulfills the needs that she has of him. He has no other purpose for existing. He's literally just a specter to make her come to terms with her own trauma. So maybe Henry Golding actually is doing a lot of work playing a guy who's not really a guy, but doesn't know he's not a guy who's fallen in love with a woman. And that's the movie. This whole thing is, you know, the intro to our podcast, deep dives in shallow waters. This is a mile wide and an inch deep everywhere. If they punched up some of the, we didn't even talk about how she's, trying to be a singer and she's going to auditions and because it was irrelevant it didn't really add anything to the story if they picked like two of those things like the heart transplant and her struggle like being a struggling starving artist or whatever that would have you know you could have made something there you could have teased out something more but instead they just threw a hundred million different you know struggles and plot lines that none of them came together yeah, I was just miserable watching this movie. <laughs> All right, let's let's move on. Uh, we'll move on. Uh, so, Malika, any fun facts? This movie wasn't very fun, but we need actually, something fun to brighten the day. I know. For so for a shallow movie, I actually have uh, not one but two fun Ooh. facts. Ooh, get ready. Uh, the first one is so the movie set Christmas 2017, and they talk about last Christmas. You guys, guess when George Michael died? Christmas 2017? 
2016, oh. last Christmas. Ah. Ah, Maybe so. Henry Golding was the ghost of George Michael. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they all three died that Christmas. Yeah. So. The other fun and fact. we died this Christmas <laughs> watching the movie. My other fun fact is actually less fun because it means that Henry Golding actually tried, but he hired a movement coach to help him figure out how to act more like a spirit. And that's why he was just like dancing through the streets and whatnot. Um, and that just makes me feel so bad for that movement coach, for Henry Golding, because they tried something and it failed spectacularly. He's like, all right, Henry, <laughs> give me whimsical serial killer. Go. Am I doing it? Yeah. Oh, God. You look great, it. Henry. Just channel <laughs> Swayze and Ghost. You look great. Am yeah. I doing it? What? Uh, that is, I'm not going to say fun, but it is a fact. It's it definitely a fact. <laughs> And that brings us to our ratings. I don't think this is going to be much of a twist on how we feel about this. <laughs> Clay, you want to kick us off? Uh, if I must. Um, so I'm going to rate this film half lesbian puddings out of five. It speaks for itself. It, it's, not even, it's not even warning a full lesbian pudding, you know? It's just a half. It's just a half. My rating is 0.25 Christmas Gibbons out of five. I'm going to give this zero oh. out of five. That's why I pause for dramatic effect. Um, out of five phones and cupboards because this movie made very little sense and was a waste of my time. And I'm very angry about it. The phone <laughs> in the cupboard was another weird thing. What was, <laughs> why did he die? Uh, Maybe he died because he didn't know his directions because he left his phone. In the and that's no, why he was, looking, he was looking up. up he was looking the street up. Signs. Wow. This really is an allegory about using your phones. Uh, yeah, that's really the, the Someone check to see if Verizon was a producer on this movie. <laughs> uh, okay, we have one final segment. We have to give out the JB oh Smooth Award. Oh my God, how could I forget my favorite part of our podcast? For those who don't remember when we talked about Spider-Man Far From Home, J.B. Smoove was a character who did not fit in with the rest of the movie. So we have decided to, for each of our podcasts now, give out a J.B. Smoove award for the person, place, or thing that did not fit in with the rest of this movie at all. So this one was a little tough because I would have loved to give it to the whole movie because I hated it. and <laughs> It doesn't belong in our lives. It does not belong <laughs> in my life. Um, and the second place award goes to Amelia Clark's eyebrows which were very distracting and i don't know what was going on definitely overacting they they should have had their own billing on the credits it's like a cute quirk of hers when you see it in interviews and like they're all over the place and you're like oh look at amelia clark her eyebrows are crazy but then when it's in a movie you're like okay this is distracting stop well, maybe, doing that maybe they thought they're like oh it's like double billing but you're only paying for one actor <laughs> you got amelia clark and her eyebrows they're like doing the wave like i don't know what was happening um, but the winner of the J.B. Smoove Award is definitely all the Brexit mentions. Like, if you want to talk about Brexit, you want to make a political stand, Emma Thompson, make a movie about it. Don't shove it down the throat of a rom-com that already is so weak. It's about Christmas. I wonder if there were any reshoots because it really felt like they shot all of those scenes together in sequence like two months after the rest of the movie. They're like, let's get together and mentioned Brexit. At least it means once. a little something. How yeah. about Brexit? And then if you are going to make a movie about Brexit and immigrants, hire some actual immigrants to be in the movie. And if you're going to make a movie about Christmas, why are you releasing it the first weekend of November? We're pretty far out. I mean, 
I feel like that's a new trend. Hallmark released all of its holiday movies okay. before Halloween, October 25th. That's Hallmark, though. They live and die on that shit. Yeah. I have an honorable mention, J.B. Smooth Award, and it's for Santa, the shop owner, and boy, the weird sauerkraut sommelier, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like he's a specialist in sauerkraut. What the... What? Literally, cut that out. Like when you're editing a movie, making cuts... Cut that out. That had nothing to do with the rest of the movie. I mean, I thought that guy was also imaginary. I mean, it, he had to be. Who he was is so weird. a yeah. sauerkraut expert? What is that? What it was supposed that to be who cute. Who pays you? Yeah. It was supposed to be cute and funny, but he was just this weird, awkward dude who like had an Asian fetish or something. I don't know. He was like, Ugh. That whole storyline, and honestly, as much as I love Michelle Yao, like her character wasn't necessary. No. He didn't bring anything. I guess the only moment was when she said, hey, when I first hired you, you were full of spirit and, and you were really good at what you did. You were good with the customers and something has changed now that you're back. So it sort of was, it positioned, like it gave us some sense of time that she's been working there for a while she left to get her heart transplant and now is back. But you don't need to hire Michelle Yao to to be there and have and force this other storyline in Which, order to to explain that. It makes me wonder, did she hire her before the heart transplant and that's when she had spirit and then afterwards she didn't? That's or what was they there lied, a, yeah. Yeah, that's what it seems like. But like the, she worked there last Christmas, like leading up to the holidays, she worked there, got into the accident. Need the heart transplant. Michelle Yeoh hired her back. So she's like, I don't know why you don't have the same spirit. Did she not know about the heart transplant that everyone else who has seen Amelia Clark in this movie knows? I mean, about? she knew about the accident. She talked about it, but then was like, well, something changed with you where you don't care emotionally. anymore. Emotionally, emotionally. Yeah. Maybe that's why she gave her four more chances after she left the shop open and it broke in, and she just. Her. She just openly admits to insurance fraud of breaking yep. the window. So I mean, everybody gives Amelia Clark's character way, way, way more chances than she probably deserves. She was very selfish. That's true. Agreed. If you haven't seen this movie, Don't my advice and Will's advice and Clay's advice is do not see it. I wish not worth that, it. I hadn't yeah. seen it. <laughs> not worth it. And with that, uh, let's say goodbye. All right. Until next time. Don't see this movie. Not see this movie. Not worth it. <laughs> <laughs>